0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Good morning, everybody. So good to see all of you here. Um, we need to pray for the Schroders. If you don't know who they are, they're the people that sit up here on the front row right in the middle and, um, of course, uh, Delaney Squires has COVID, and um, none of the rest of the Squires do. Last I understood, but uh, we just need to pray. Apparently, this thing's not over, huh? So we have to, uh, yeah, we have to be careful, but, Father, we do. Why don't we stand up pray for these people? Some of these people are really, really struggling. Lord, we pray this morning for Delaney and we pray for um, John and Kim, and the rest of the Schroeder family, Lord, that you just touch them. Lord, we ask that healing virtue, the reality of the authority that we have in the name of Jesus, we exercise that now as we pray for the squires and the Schroeders. We break the power of sickness That struck their family lord we understand how it comes but we also know you can heal these people you can touch them you can reverse this and we pray in jesus name amen amen i'm going to be preaching this morning out of luke chapter 2. the church has traditionally called this season the advent season and um, of course it revolves around the birth Of Jesus the Messiah. And so why don't we read Luke 2, 7 through 15? How many of you up for that this morning? Well, the rest of you just, you know, sorry. So we're going to stand up again. It won't hurt. We're going Episcopalian this morning. As I have said previously, when you read out loud, that means words come out of your mouth. <laughs> you make a noise. That's, and it's fun. Yeah. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. For there is born to you, stop right there, stop right there. Who's he born to? For there is born to you, like that. This day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. All right, you may be seated. What a great story. I'm going to look at a number of these different verses, maybe not all of them. What we discover when we read through here, um, we discover a lot about the Lord. We discover things about His nature that these verses are really have been impregnated with. And so the first one I want to look at is, of course, verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Why did she do that? Because there was no what? There was no room. There was no room. There was no room for them in the inn. And I thought about that. Um, You wonder how many places they went to. Of course, I think it's more profound than how many places didn't have room for him. We're going to see this later. It has to do with 700-year-old prophecies that pretty well pinpoint like the exact location where Jesus was born. But there's also this idea that um, there was no room for them. And that, that has really struck me over the years because as I've I've walked with the Lord, I have discovered for the most part, and I say for the most part because there always can be exceptions to the rule, for the most part, God won't impose himself on people. He won't just come... Barge into your life and take over. He really does want to be invited. Uh, years ago, um, I heard um, of a, really a preacher from a bygone era named Walter Butler, and he would he would say, "God appreciates being appreciated," and we don't really always understand how the relational dynamic works between us and the Lord. But God appreciates being appreciated. Um, he wants to be wanted, and, and that's a very significant idea if we really want to develop as, as believers. He wants to be wanted, and I was thinking um, on the way in this morning about a verse out of Proverbs 8 that um, really struck me. Let me see, Proverbs 8 verse, I think it is uh, 17 and I may have to explain a little bit of this, but it says this, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Let me read that again, because John 3.16 says God loved who or what? The world. He loves everyone. But then there's this other reality that God has affection for those who have affection for him. And that's what it says here. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. And um, people have gone through so many things that they're still trying to figure out if God loves them. You know, everybody has those issues. Well, then there's the other side. Do you love him? Do you love him? We don't always like to be challenged, but that's part of the equation. It's a two-way street. Do we love him? Um, He says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Those are relational ideas. If you seek the Lord, you will find him more than if you don't. Now, that's redundant, but, I mean, it's profound. We don't know God by osmosis. We know him by intentionality. That's a big part of it. Um, You can become more spiritual than anyone else in the world if you want to be. That's probably an exaggeration, but there's an idea there that there's a certain part of this relationship that really involves what we choose to do, what we choose to do. And our culture is geared toward distraction. And we need to make conscious decisions to make room for the Lord. He really wants to be first in our lives, not a second thought, not an option. Number two, and that's a challenge. That's a challenge. There's so many things that cry out for our attention. I know people that have become defiled through their relationship with the Internet. They're toxic now. How many of you know people like that? You can't, you can't really even talk to them. I, um, if you're toxic, uh, please stay away from me. <laughs> now, it's not because I'm better than you. It's because I'm just like you. I could get toxic too. I don't have any trouble being mean. Anybody get that? I don't have any trouble being agitated and irritated. I can do that all by myself without anybody's help. No problem. I am good at that. But we have to be intentional about our faith I listen to Jordan B. Peterson sometimes. He's a very, very interesting person. And what he says, his whole idea is, if you want to improve your life, take personal responsibility for it. Make up your bed. How many of you are familiar with some of this that I'm talking about? And see, what he says is, there is no bottom to the abyss. If you want to go that way, there's no bottom. Your life can get Immeasurably worse if you don't begin to take some personal responsibility for your relationships and for your life and for what you do with God. There's no bottom. He also says this, you make tomorrow better by sacrificing today, but you make tomorrow worse by living your best life now. <laughs> right? Right? Don't you hate that? Live your dream. No, don't live your dream. Do better than that. Oh, give yourself to something that may not be your dream at all that is meaningful to somebody else. Like the guy, he was 45 years old, still living in the basement at his dad's house. And his dad said, son, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm looking for myself. He said, well, you ain't here apparently, so you better go live somewhere else. Apparently, you haven't found... Anyway, moving right along. John 21, verse 16 and 17, Jesus asked Peter three questions that are the same question. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And it was significant. That's a a very important question. But God wants to be valued. And one of the keys to valuing God is discovering how valuable he is, how wonderful he is. Um, Anyway, how can you develop your faith? Pray, read the Bible, watch. Watch, watch. What's watch mean? Sit down, ask the Lord to speak to you, and then listen. Listen. See if you'll say something. And as long as it doesn't contradict the Bible and isn't negative, it's probably the Lord. I have this process. I don't listen to any negative criticism that comes into my heart. I don't mean I don't listen to criticism from people and try to grow, but I don't listen to negative stuff as though it's God speaking. Because in my history of over 50 years, he doesn't treat me that way. He doesn't. He is way better to me than I am to myself. So stop listening to that. It doesn't help, and it won't make you be a better person. It'll just make you um, self-conscious, more self-conscious. Anyway, verse 8 of chapter, uh, Luke chapter 2, it says, Now they were in the same country shepherds, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And that's, um, that's who the angels appeared to. They appeared to those who were on the night shift, those who were faithfully carrying out their calling in the dark. And what that speaks to me is whatever your calling is, whatever your work is, I don't mean you're, you're calling. Everybody's not going to be a preacher, obviously. I think who you are out and about in your life is your calling, but there are times it's like you're walking in the dark. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's like you're in the dark. You're just putting one foot in front of the other. Oh, the Lord really likes that, He likes the fact that you keep doing that. And he appeared to those on the night shift, those who were faithfully carrying out their calling even in the dark. And they were keeping watch. And again, that can be a metaphor for spending time waiting on the Lord or meditating on the Scripture. But the ones he appeared to were shepherds or those who cared for others, which is everyone's calling. I will promise you this. If you devote yourself to truly caring for other people for their sake, God will come to you. He will. He'll speak to you. He'll make himself known to you because that's why you're here, here.' to care about somebody, to do something for somebody. But these particular um, shepherds were charged with helping to birth and to care for the spotless lambs that were used week in, week out in the temple and for the Passover sacrifice. That's who the angels appeared to, those whose job it was to tend the Levitical flocks in Jerusalem for the temple worship. Well, in Luke 2.10, uh, Luke next verse I want to look at, the angels said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you, oh, this is such a great verse. We've heard it so much, it's its truth isn't ringing loudly enough. I bring you what? Good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And the Passion Translation says, but the angel reassured them, saying, don't be afraid, for I have come to bring you good news, the most joyous news the world has ever heard, and it's for everyone everywhere. Good tidings of great joy, the most joyous news the world has ever heard. The the Moravians, an ancient, not ancient, but a, I think a 17th century um, group of believers from Western Europe. I believe that's right. Moravians believed that the two primary effects of receiving the gospel were holiness and happiness. So if your holiness isn't also happiness, pitch it. Come on, holiness and happiness comes from believing the gospel. I think we need to believe the gospel again. How many of you think that might be true? Yeah, the gospel, if you believe the gospel, it makes you happy. It's good news. It's good news. Wonderful. Most joyous news the world has ever heard, and it's for everyone everywhere and then in verse 11 for there is born to you and I like that not just born to the world they were saying he has been born to you in particular um, I think about the apostle Paul in Galatians two twenty, where he talks about um, this Jesus who he says died for me Gave himself for me, died for me, gave himself for me. He was born unto you, born unto you, died for you, gave himself, gave himself. If you read the accounts of what Jesus gave himself to through his passion and suffering, it's, it's, it's incredible. If you read and meditate on that long enough, I will promise you this, God will touch your life. If you look at the profundity of what Jesus went through for you in particular, gave himself for you, died for you, it, um, it will really it will change your life. But that's always, that phrase has always captured me, born unto you this day in the city of David. And that same verse calls him Savior. This day in the city of David, a Savior. And I thought about that word Savior. That word Savior also means rescuer. Rescuer. And I, particularly early this morning, went back through my life and thought about the literal times God rescued me, rescued me rescued me. And and to be rescued implies that you're in so much trouble, you can't get yourself out of it. I've been in that kind of trouble, I could tell you at least five times. Some of it is psychological trouble or emotional trouble or mental trouble. Some of it was, was physical, but I can remember a, I, I guess this goes back probably 16 or 18 years ago. I was in Alaska, preaching with a group of guys, and we had a um, we had a day off, and so we went out on one of those glaciers. And anyone ever been on one of those one of those glaciers up in Alaska or Canada somewhere? Well, in your mind, you think a glacier is like a very very nice snowy place, but it, it's not. It's like a ice a, um, a ice parking lot there 's nothing fluffy about it, <laughs> nothing at all it 's hard as a rick, brick and they're caves it 's not like just flat they're mounds and valleys and literal caves and they're you know and so we went out um it wasn 't in season, it was really cold and it was during the week, and there was nobody out there that I saw but three of us. And so we went walking out on this glacier, and um, believe it or not, my back went out on me. Uh, can you imagine me having back trouble, honey? And, uh, <laughs> and so the guys I was with said, well, we're going to go on, and w- then, then we'll come back. And it suddenly dawned on me, I could not see where back was. I couldn't see where we'd come from, just because of the nature of the terrain. And I kept falling down, and I fell down sometime. one time so hard, I split my hand open. And if you're bleeding on a glacier, you're thinking polar bear. <laughs> and it was getting dark, and it doesn't take long for it to get dark in Alaska in the wintertime, I'll tell you. And I didn't know where I was. I didn't know which way to go back, and I hadn't seen anybody else out on the ice other than the guys I went out, and I had no idea where they were. And I panicked. How many of you know that feeling of panic? Yeah, man, the polar bear's coming. I'm bleeding. It's getting dark. I don't know where I am. And suddenly, a couple I had never even seen out there just came up over this little hill, and I said, oh, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Do you know how to get back? Oh, they said, yes, we're going back. And I said, well, can I come back with you? And they said, yes. And I, uh, but I felt rescued. Do you understand? Right? I mean, there are certain emotional feelings you have that can be terrifying. Well, that was one time where I was rescued. Thinking way back to after I got out of college, another time I got rescued. I worked for a company that sold commercial kitchen equipment. And I really, at that point, didn't like the job. All my friends were getting married. I kept breaking up with my girlfriend. That's her over there on the second row. And I fell into this depression. And I I didn't know how to get out of it. And I was, I was afraid. I mean, you know, when you get into, get into some of these places, you don't know how to get out of them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And then one night I had a dream and then the dream, I was stuck on a dangerous ledge underneath a boulder that went out over the top of me. So there was no way down. There was no way up. And. Um, I could see people trying to help me, but they couldn't reach me. And I had this real sense of desperation. But in the dream, suddenly, I was on top of the boulder, and I was safe, and I didn't know how it happened. I didn't know how it happened. And then, then I woke up, and I thought, my goodness, that's encouraging, but I'm still depressed Well, the thing is, though, the Lord began to give me the key to to get out of it. He showed me that even though in my mind I was in a desperate place, in reality I was safe the whole time. I was wrong about where I was. Do you know humility, one aspect of humility, is to stop believing the things you're believing Come on, I'm serious. But he also did this. He gave me a song to sing, and I wrote this song years ago, and the song is called He Has Done It In Me, which is a song of victory from the standpoint of already being free when it didn't seem like it in my circumstances. And so the Lord said, okay, I gave you that song. I want you to sing it. And the song goes, he's done it in me. Yes, he's done it in me. Jesus has come. And he has set me free. No no more sorrow, despair has fled away. I stand in the victory. He's put me there to stay. And I said, but Lord, it's not true. Well, The Lord said, sing it. And I said, but it's not. He said, sing it. The reality was it was true. But in my mind, I had convinced myself it wasn't true. And so I began to sing that song, and I essentially sang my way out of that depression. Not because of the amount of time I sang it, but I began to believe the gospel again. For the law of the spirit of life, past tense, has set me free past tense from the law of sin and death and i sang that song and i got out of that depression see romans 8 i think it's romans 8 no it's romans 10 it says for with the heart you know the whole i don't know if you're around for the faith movement where you know do you have Cadillac faith? If you want a Cadillac, ask God for Cadillac and then say you got a Cadillac. Or, you know, if you're sick, say you're healed because Isaiah 53 and Matthew and, and on and on. And then people abuse it. But guess what? Guess what? That principle is real. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made. Unto salvation. If you want to be depressed, agree with depression and proclaim depression. It will work, which means that's horrible. But if you begin to give yourself to the reality and the truth of the gospel and agree with it. Christopher was talking in our pre-meeting this morning for volunteers about the power of testimony. A testimony is a proclamation of what God's done for you. And the interesting thing about testimony is when it's released, it will release other people because it's a God-will-do-it-again concept, the power of testimony. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. My mind was telling me one thing. God was telling me the other when I believed my mind, I suffered. When I believed God, I began to be liberated. What a what a strange thing that maybe the Bible's true. Maybe Jesus knows what he's talking about. In the world, you shall have tribulation. Everybody's worried about the great tribulation. Jesus said, I mean, he just been tribulated out the wazoo, ladies and gentlemen, right after... I mean, crucified, died. And when he rose from the dead, he said, in the world you shall have tribulation. Oh, God! Then he said, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So what Jesus is doing is he's not denying reality But he is releasing through the power of the spirit and the reality of the gospel a higher reality. And he's saying you can live above the snake line or below the snake line. Do you understand what I mean by that? There's some suffering that is unnecessary. I had another time, uh, I'll just tell you one more. Donna and I, some of you know this, we lived in in a Christian community uh, for eight or nine years. And it wasn't quite a commune, but you could see it from where we were. And um, three of my four children were born in those years, and it was a remarkable time, a tremendous time of growth. Uh, but it didn't work. And, you know, people that come to me and said, yeah, we're going we're to build this heaven on earth, Christian community. I say, okay, let me know how it works. And uh, if you need my help, here's my number. Because <laughs> I've already done that, and I got some ideas. Um, but, at a given point, I became discouraged, and I became disillusioned with what we were doing in that community and so I left and and others did too. Gradually, some had already left, a number had already left, but a church began to gather in my house, and so I had to borrow money from my widowed. My dad had died. I had to borrow money from my mother to rent a house where the air conditioning didn't work. And it had roaches. That was great. We didn't know the air conditioning. You know, I just, woe is, you know, poor me. Come on, give it up for me. But, no, I mean, I was dealing with um, two small children, a church in my house, a traveling sales job, um, Donna got pregnant. Uh, I read a list in Parade Magazine that used to come in the Sunday paper, and it was the 10 top stress producers in a person's life. And I had eight. I wasn't getting divorced, and I hadn't died. Because apparently, dying is <laughs> very stressful to people at times. It really is the thought of it. You know, I, never mind. Anyway, I was in a mess. I had no money. We didn't even have appliances, did we? Anyway, we got some. It turned out. But I started having panic attacks. Anybody know what a panic attack? If you don't know what it is, you've never had one. And um, so here I was trying to lead this church. Honest to goodness, I had disappointment, resentment, all kind of things coming out of... Our heaven on earth experience that didn't work. I was disillusioned, but I loved the Lord. I had a calling in ministry, and I was just trying to do that. And I changed, uh, I changed jobs, and was traveling all over the Carolinas. And um, I started having panic attacks. And I had a um, that was back during car phones. How many of you remember car phones? Yeah, yeah. I had a car phone, which only worked in certain places. And I can remember driving home from Columbia, South Carolina, and having a panic attack on 77. And I thought, I'm just going to pull off, and I'm going to call my wife, ask her to come get me. I'm just going to leave my car. (laughs) And so one of the things that happened was in the middle of this, the Lord asked me a question. And he said, Robin, what are you afraid of? How many of us deal with things we're afraid of? He said, what are you afraid of? And I said, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my mind. And he said, oh, I won't let you. And that was that was the beginning of Plus, I had to forgive some people. Do you ever... I had to let some things go. I had to stop being critical of other people's mistakes or sins or whatever. But God rescued me. He rescued me. God's rescued me. On a number of occasions when I couldn't find help anywhere else. And he wasn't always my first choice. He wasn't always my first choice. Let me see. I'm starting page four here. And I think I've got nine pages, so it doesn't look like we're going to make it. (laughs) But I wanted to share One other thing about um, the significance of the Bible prophecies, the significance of the prophecies in the Bible. Um, The Messiah had been promised all the way back in the book of Genesis. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The he bruising the head would be the Messiah. So way back in Genesis 3, we begin to have these promises that go back um, thousands, thousands of years. And Bible scholars have determined that there are approximately 300 verses that have been identified as um, relating to the coming of the Messiah. 300. Well, um, I, I read this the other day about the mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling even a handful of them, let alone all of them. The probability... Is not just improbable, it's virtually impossible that any single person could fulfill not even those 300, but eight. They looked at eight different Bible promises. Some guy, I don't know him, but I read this, Peter Stoner, the chairman of the departments of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena College, was passionate about biblical prophecies. With six hundred students from the Intervarsity Christian Fellowship, Stoner looked at eight, just eight specific prophecies about Jesus, and being mathematician, they came up with an extremely conservative probability for each one being fulfilled and then considered the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling all eight of them. And here was their conclusion. The prospect that anyone would satisfy those eight prophecies was just one in 10 to the 17th power. Just eight of them. That's um, 10 with 17 zeros. Okay, then he made this comparison. He said, suppose we take one... In 10, suppose we take 10 to the 17th power number of silver dollars. Okay, you got that. And lay them on the face of Texas. They will cover all of the state of Texas up to two feet deep. Now, mark one of those silver dollars and stir all of them up real good all over the state. And blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up that one silver dollar that we marked and say, this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing they wrote them using their own wisdom. 300 prophecies. It's remarkable. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop there, but I'm going to ask you this question. First of all, let me ask the worship band to come back. Because I believe the Lord wants to to minister to some of us. How many of you... This is so hard when we do this because it's difficult. It's difficult for us to respond. How many of you are in a place where you feel like you need to be rescued? Some area, some part of your life. Do we have anybody here like that? Yeah. 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 Well, let's do this. Those of you that feel that way, I just want you to stand up. Just acknowledge it. It's not It's not a character flaw. Yeah, just stand up. Yeah. Now, we're going to just have a little worship song here. But here's what I want other people to do. I want them to come up and... Lay hands on you and pray for you appropriately. That means their shoulders, sort of men for men, women for women, or but, you know. But get permission. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? Okay. Now, those of you who are not standing up, why don't you pick out one of these people just to to go pray for them? Or we're going to pray through something here, okay? Yeah, so... Um, Yeah, get up. I'm going to start singing a Beatles song. Got up, got out of bed, dug a comb across my head. Went downstairs and had a smoke and somebody spoke and I prayed for someone. Ah." All right, lay hands on them with permission. Yeah. Now, anyone standing up needing some rescuing that nobody is praying for, wave at me so I can see who you are. So we can have, yeah, this young lady right here. Yeah, Donna, she's right there on the third row, one, two, the fourth row maybe. Anybody else? Nobody's praying for you. Okay. Okay. We're just going to wait on the Lord. We're not going to rush through this. If anybody uh, need, needs to take off, that's understandable. But, Lord, you're the Savior. That means rescuer. And, Lord, there are situations we're in. And we need rescuing. We need you, the Savior, to intervene on our behalf. Come come, Holy Spirit. Here's what I know about you, Holy Spirit. You will come first in your presence, then with solutions. First in your presence. So come by your presence, Lord. Let your presence touch each of these people who have acknowledged. They've acknowledged they need your touch, Lord. They need your help. They need your practical intervention. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's psychological. Maybe they need to change their minds. Maybe they need to think differently. But, Lord, you know how to get us wherever we need to go. So come, Holy Ghost. We love you, Lord. You're not just a babe in a manger. You're the Lord of heaven and earth, Christ Jesus. Let your power come. Let your release come. Lord, plant within each person here that that spark, that flame of victory, that victory you hand to us. Lord, let that revelation come. Light comes from revelation Lord, let that revelation come now Of who you are, what you've done Let it break through the darkness Let it pierce hearts, Lord In the world, the Bible said you shall have Jesus said you shall have tribulation But be, be of good cheer Release that joy For Lord, you have overcome the world You are well able to break into our lives by our invitation and rescue and transform and change and heal and deliver and empower and encourage. everybody to repeat after me he's done it in me he's done it in me Jesus has come and he has set me free Let's just sit on that. Come on. This is your testimony. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the evil one. So we break the power of evil. We break any demonic power. Any listen we give you notice, your lease, you never had it, but it's up. We break off now fear and delusion and hostility and rancor and bitterness and confusion in the name of Jesus. Let's say it again. He's done it in me. He's done it in me. Jesus has come and he has set me free. Well, I don't feel like it. Sing it. No more sorrow. No more sorrow. No more sorrow. No more sorrow. Despair has fled away. Let's say that. Despair has fled away. No more sorrow. Despair has fled away. Oh, come on. I stand in the victory. Come on. I stand in the victory. I stand. I stand. I stand in the victory. He has put me there. He has put me there. He's put me there to stay. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.